This is the Julius Profiles podcast brought to you by Julius, an influencer marketing software solution that adds a human touch to strategic and creative advertising campaigns. On this podcast, we put people first, discussing the marketers, influencers, and consumers of this growing industry. Join us as we talk to industry experts and influencers to dive beyond the day-to-day of influencer marketing and into the nuances of this dynamic marketing practice. Learn more and subscribe to the podcast at juliusworks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Julius Profiles podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be talking about a subject matter topic that's really prevalent all across the world in many different shapes and forms, but especially on social media. This episode is called The Power of People because influencers are powerful. All of a sudden, these people are on social and they're able to make people do things. And because of this, you know, social media is really impacting mental health and how people are perceiving themselves and how they want to take action with and for and against certain things that people are seeing on social media. So I have some great guests with me today to kind of talk about the impact of social media and influencers about mental health and the mental health community. So guys, you want to introduce yourselves. Lena, take it away. Hi, I'm Lena Ranzina, and I run talent relations and partnerships at the Ad Council. We are a nonprofit. We've been around for over 75 years, really focusing on producing national social good campaigns for the most pressing social good issues. Those can range from Smokey Bear, our most iconic campaign, to mental health awareness and suicide prevention, bullying prevention, texting and driving prevention, you name it, we probably have a campaign about it. And I yell it, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dr. Ayelet Busi. I'm a clinical psychologist in private practice. My practice is called Cognitive Therapy for Women Psychological Services, and we're located in Soho. We specialize in CBT, that's cognitive behavioral therapy. And I also have a research background in social cognition and empathy. Thanks. And for full disclosure, Ayelet is also my wife. So really excited to bring family and customer onto the podcast today. So this is going to be an interesting one. I'll try not to embarrass myself in front of you. So yeah, social media and you know making an impact. I, I feel like every day I'm seeing new headlines about mental health and wellness. I mean, when we have customers even requesting influencers, they want to say, I want to find somebody who practices meditation, people who are really about mindfulness. We see apps all the time, headspace that are blowing into social and saying, hey, everybody, let's take a minute and kind of like assess the situation and not drive ourselves crazy. It's really easy to look on Instagram, go through your feed and be like, that's what I need to be. That's what I want to do. And a lot of the time, influencers are putting themselves out there as aspirational and inspirational people. And I kind of wanted to talk about you know, how influencer marketing, as we always do on this podcast, talking about the marketers, the influencers, and the consumers of this day, how they can be impacted by this sort of thing. So first of all, kind of want to get your take on you know what the relationship is between consumers and influencers and social media. And you know how do you guys think, generally speaking, social media impacts people on a day-to-day basis when it comes to mental health? Do you guys have any initial thoughts to start the discussion? So in the last few years, I think we can all agree that the influencer space has changed a lot dramatically. Where it first started maybe 10, 
15 years ago, we were seeing everyday people who were just talking about their lives. And that's how people really started to connect with everyday people as opposed to celebrities. Now these people are building their own companies and brands are making so much money off of this. They're really kind of becoming the celebrities also. And there are different like tiers of people that we look at, people who have their own brand, people who are still like making content, um, just without that like holistic brand in mind and just want to connect with people. But the idea behind why people are doing it has also shifted and changed because they realize they can make a lot of money from it. And I think a part of that is putting your life out there, like you said, in the most aspirational way possible, which isn't what it started as. It yeah. started as people authentically talking about their own experiences. Like, let's connect. Let's yeah, be friends exactly. on the internet. I don't have to call you anymore. I don't have to text you. I can just like post on this thing yeah. and now we're going to engage each other. And sharing their lives and now it's a very curated yeah part of their life yeah it's there's like this whole thing i don't know if you guys are familiar with the term finstagram yes oh my it's god like a crazy thing so finstagram is like basically an alternate profile that a lot of teenagers are making to say hey this is my public profile and this is for my friends hence finstagram so this duality of personas about how people project themselves on social is really interesting but also the idea of like all the validation that you get from social media from like when somebody likes your posts or somebody views your story and the pressure that comes with that and the ever changing algorithm of all of the platforms the influencers i'm sure feel the pressure to make sure their content is up to par so that they're getting the likes and engagements Mm -hmm. to upkeep their brand and also get those brands to work with them yeah it's an interesting balancing act ayala what do you think you know how do you think social media and influencers are impacting the mental health community. I think that, you know, there was this, I am not a doctor by any means. So I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. But I feel like up until like the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, it was real life interactions. And now there's this whole digital wave of things that I need to deal with. So how does a doctor kind of approach this in a new capacity? Yeah, it's interesting. I've had conversations with people about this, how sort of our existence in social media and in the social world is sort of this like amplified analog of real life like social experiences like thinking about kind of the ways that we interact in real life with our friends and stuff like that the way we behave on social media is just sort of this amplified magnified version of that and so a lot of the things that we see as like the quote-unquote mental health problems that are coming up from engagement in social media they're actually not new. These are not things that were generated by social media. These are things that existed before. They're just kind of like amplified versions of themselves. So if we think about things, and I mean, Lena, I'm sure you could weigh in on some of this, things like bullying, things like, you know, access to friends who can support me through a mental health crisis, things like that. These are not new concepts. But so I think to make the argument that social media has generated new social problems, I don't think that I necessarily agree with that argument. I think that it's just a bigger version of something that actually existed already. It's really interesting. I guess I kind of just thought about it as like almost a new platform for projection and validation and all these things, not really just like... I mean, the human brain is kind of like this thing that's evolved to do one thing, but now it's totally. just getting different inputs. Yeah. It's really interesting. And we're, we're the same social beings that we've ever been. It just now there's this new way of interacting and communicating with each other that's just on this 
massive global scale. And when you think about like how we'd operate socially, I mean, I, I think probably all three of us grew up sort of at the very beginning of the internet and social media being a thing. Millennials. Millennials. And, you know, so for us, we were sort of the first generation to kind of experience some of this, but we remember what it was like before. We went to high school without Instagram and without any of this stuff. And yet some of the things that we may have experienced socially the kids in high school today are experiencing the same things. They're just happening on this much, much, much larger scale. That's that's really interesting. I think that, you know, when I was preparing for this podcast, I was doing research about mental health and influencers and social and stuff like that. And a lot of negative stuff came up. And I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. I think it's easy to say people judge and do all this stuff. And it makes it a little bit more, you know, direct and fast and impact and harder impacting. But I also think that that's never going to replace human interaction for good, bad or, or different. So I think it's, that's a really interesting point to make. So have you guys seen any brands that are really taking on mental health to be, to be a champion for mental health? What are they doing? I, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot. If you, if you don't know, it's okay. I see, you know, I, I saw this campaign from National Geographic and it was called Bravo Tango Brain Training for vets, you know, people coming back from combat and they're just like, I need somebody to talk to. So they worked with the Google assistant to like just give vets somebody to talk to. And Lena, I'm sure that, you know, with your work with Ad Council, there's, you know, so much great stuff that you're doing. Do you have any good examples of brands or even Ad Council that's kind of bringing this to life and kind of talking about it firsthand? Yeah, that's a really interesting initiative. I'm going to yeah. look into that. Yeah, check it out. I, when I think about who's doing something really positive in the mental health space, I don't think brands are the first to come to mind. Celebrities, yes. I think a lot of people sharing their stories and being transparent and taking stigma away from mental health, from, you know, struggling with anxiety and depression and whatever that may be, like huge celebrities from Sean Mendez, Lady Gaga, you know, Selena Gomez, they're all talking about it. And then the more accessible, you know, digital talent, YouTubers who are talking about their everyday struggle. And that's what I think of people who are really making strides. Of course, our Seize the Awkward campaign, which really is with in partnership with the Jed Foundation and AFSP, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They um, we came together on this campaign called Seize the Awkward. So we're targeting young adults ages 16 to 25 and really focusing on suicide prevention in an upstream way through mental health awareness, um, peer to peer. And so the idea behind it that was developed by our agency Droga 5 is that you should be seizing awkward moments to talk about mental health because it can be uncomfortable, especially if you're, you know, 17 and you don't know how to talk about mental health. Um, let alone talk to your friend who's struggling. So really offering kind of tips and resources to people who realize their friends might be struggling with their mental health and help them talk to each other before it gets to a, a crisis moment. So our campaign has been so incredibly received because obviously it's a very important issue for that age. I think for everybody, but especially when in that target audience, because there are transitions that you're going through in life where you you might not know how to face them and that can cause a lot of anxiety and stress. So like 16 to 25, you think you're graduating high school and you're going to college for the first time and then you're graduating college and you might be getting a job or you might be going to figure out what you're doing after college. There's a lot of transition moments that can be really 
anxiety producing. And I think we're not taught how to deal with it. And so that's, you know, something that manifests itself um, and trying to help people talk to each other and open up that safe space. So it's been a really wonderful campaign and we've had a lot of influencers and celebrities really support it. And that has been so powerful because they are sharing their own personal stories and taking away that stigma and they're able to connect with their audiences in that way. And like talking about the positive aspects of social media is that it provides that accessibility. I love that so much. And I think that that's such a great example of what I was talking about before, how you know, again, like if we're we're thinking about ourselves in high school, and maybe you had like a friend or two that you could talk to about these things. And now you have access to basically everybody who's going through something like that. And so essentially, just digital support groups form around these people, which I think is so amazing. This is, you know, we hear a lot people talking about the downsides to social media and in terms of mental health. And that's definitely something we can talk about more. But to me, this is one of the biggest upsides is that it gives you access to people who are going through similar things. And you get this incredible resource of support that just didn't exist when, when we were that age or, you know, before this, this kind of technology existed. When I was doing some of the research that I was doing for this episode, I was looking up, you know, why do people like to hear from other people? Kind of like where, like, why? Would somebody want to hear from an influencer about anything? You know, we call them influencers. But that's really, from my perspective, a marketing term. You know, it's if I work with this person, they can convince people to do things. But we're talking about compassion and understanding and being able to connect. And one of the studies that I was looking at, they said an influencer, you follow an influencer and you do what they do because of a couple of reasons. One, their trustworthiness, two, their expertise, three, their attractiveness, and four, their similarity. And I think it's interesting to be able, because I think for something like this, is that, you know, trustworthiness, expertise, attractiveness, sure. But being able to see influencers as peers, I think is the power of, generally speaking, influencer marketing. But then also in this capacity is that you want to be able to talk to somebody who you think is going through that. And when I see Michael Phelps on the subway talking about, hey, I got therapy, you can too. Like, that's amazing. I love that be able to, to connect with the peers. Do you guys have any thoughts about that sort of connective tissue about talking to people that are like yourself and maybe connecting that back to influencers? Absolutely. I think it's an incredible community builder too. So for example, I think the first memory I have of watching... And on the record, I hate the word influencer and I never use it. But I we're using it for this don't purpose. don't <laughs> disagree with you. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like something like I think that we can also think of influencers as community leaders or role models or something like that. Influencer, again, I think is a marketing term. Yes. So continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're, it, I think you're absolutely right. It's an advertising term because yeah. brands are hiring creators to influence their audience to buy and purchase something. At the Ad Council, we don't sell anything. So I don't use that word. I try to use creator, digital talent, and celebrity, athlete, musician, whatever their label is. Also, they do not like that word. So I don't really say it around anybody. But my first memory of coming across like a YouTuber or a creator, I think I was just in college and I, I'm queer and I was like looking for something and I found like these queer women making YouTube videos about their lives and like thriving and like in relationships. And that for me was so incredible because like I didn't have that example. Like in my own life, 
I mean, there are absolutely people out there, but I hadn't found that community yet. And so when I saw people on YouTube doing it and like living their best lives, it was really helpful and inspirational in many ways because it was like-minded people that it can be hard to find in real life sometimes. And that example of people who are like me and was there and it felt really amazing and um, validating. I think that's why people love humans of New York because they're like, you walk down the street, especially in New York, there's five bazillion people on the sidewalk that I have to fight against to get to work. And you're just like, you're in my way. But when you take a second and they have the opportunity to open themselves up and you can like learn that like, oh my God, they're going through the same exact struggles that I am. That's like really cool. And that's why people like every time I see that on my Instagram feed, I'm like, I get that. Like I totally get that. And to have that to there's just so much going on and to have somebody to connect to on the internet, that's a really powerful thing. But I think that's where we get into kind of the complicated nature of uh, connecting with other people on social media where one of the things that we love about Humans of New York is how you're really getting an insight into the intimate details of someone's existence. And that's not always... We don't always get that from social media. And I think this is something we all kind of realize. I think someone used the word curated before. Like A lot of people's images are curated online. You share your best parts only. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's yeah. sharing like on their story. I had a terrible day. I'm so depressed. I'm yeah. like in a negative yep. thought spiral. <laughs> Everything is terrible. No one's going to follow yeah. them. Nobody wants yeah. to hear that. Right. But it, it gets at... It's like, what is the best kind of you know, connection that you can make on social media other than with your own friends, people that you know. So you're talking about people that you're having, you can authentically connect with something that's going on in their lives and it's meaningful to you. And it, it does something for you psychologically to have that, that, that point of connection. The points of connection that can, whether neutral or potentially damaging are the ones in which there's this like social referencing going on where it's me compared to them. Are they doing better than me magically? How are they doing better than me? All I see is that they're wearing better clothes and their hair looks nicer and all these other things. And I, that's where we start to see a sort of a dip in, in wellness and in, in mental health and how people are feeling about themselves. Can I ask you, how does one get over that hump as somebody who's definitely <laughs> struggled with that yeah. thought, from, you know, digital creators, but also from people in my own social circle where I'm like, I know it's curated, but like, why does your life look perfect? Mm-hmm. No, totally. I mean, I don't think anybody's immune to that. I think having the constant barrage of that kind of data thrown at you all the time, I don't think anyone could totally feel completely okay with themselves all the time. But something that I recommend to my patients is do the same thing with your online social life as you would in your real personal life, which is if there's a toxic relationship, if there's something that's consistently bringing you down, edit it out, take it out of the story. So, you know, whether that means mute them, curate who you're following on Instagram, like just curate so that it is not a barrage of things that are making you feel terrible about yourself. It's things that are making you either stimulating you or you're connecting to or are interesting to you. But to be able to consciously attend and tell the difference between what's bringing me down versus what's improving my life. Yeah, I think bring, tying it exactly what we're saying down to back to influencer marketing, a lot of what's happening in the influencer community and with brands and, and marketers when I'm speaking is disclosure and saying, hey, I'm an influencer. I am working with this brand and they are paying me to do that. I think that what that also does, you know, increasing that visibility is to let the consumer know that, you know what? Okay. I get it. This 
is a paid partnership and that's why they're doing it. I need to take it with a grain of salt. But also through that, managing expectations a little bit to say like, hey, this is an ad. This person is perfectly curated. They did their makeup exactly the brand said them to do. The, the food looks perfect the way that it's supposed to be made. And that disclosure helps, you know, having a real candid look about, you know, what is real and what's maybe not so real is an interesting way to, to, to internalize what social can bring to the table. I'm just curious, do you feel like that damages the relationship between the audience and the influencer? So that's a really good question. It's something I talk with my customers quite a bit about. I think at this point, so the marketer is always going to want to not have disclosure because, well, and this is hyperbolic. I'll be the first to say, I think a lot of times the marketer wants to avoid the disclosure because they want it to feel organic, you know? But I think that in 2019, most consumers and people that are active on Instagram know that influencer marketing, influencer marketing is a thing. And they're like, when I see the hashtag ad, they're kind of like, okay, I get this is a brand sponsored content, but then with that, they take it in. So but does if you're it- a smart creator and you know, you have a great like agent or manager who's telling you, you should only be taking brand deals that are strategic to your own brand Perfect. and that you really care about. There you go. And so that's how they maintain the trust with their audience. And yeah. there are a lot of creators that don't do that and their audience can see right through it. That's yeah. the thing. I really think that people can see through it. I, I wonder though also if maybe the, and again, I'm not in the industry, so take it this with a grain of salt, but maybe the standard shouldn't be, you know, the same kind of advertising that has traditionally happened where it's like we're, we're projecting an image of like perfection of like this amazing, mo- perfect moment on the beach where I'm drinking the whatever that the ad is for and instead try to access something more authentic. Cause that, that's something across the board. I think that, that people connect to. That's something that I connect to when I see something authentic or something that feels, you know, resonant, that feels real. I, it, I respond to that. I, again, when I was doing some research for this podcast, I came across a headline that said the average American can't relate to influencers. And I think because when we think of influencers, it is this perfect person. There is an agency now that is devoting themselves to working with influencers that look and feel like normal people, which I think is kind of cool and kind of is showing the shift in the direction about like to exactly what you're saying. I want to connect with real people in a real way that really matter. So that's kind of interesting. And I think that... That's what it used to be before it was their full-time job. Because now it's their full-time job job. and it's their brand. And it's no longer just, I'm making content on the side and I you know work at a grocery store or whatever your full-time job is. But now it's everybody's full-time job and they're making a salary in that upkeep. is There's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. And also with the development of like editing tools, yeah. like Facetune and some of those other tools, like some of those images aren't real of people. That's totally true. And honestly, as the marketing landscape becomes more integrated, when influencers are creating content that need to go and be displayed as actual advertising, quality needs to be high and that that gets to a balance of like how do we balance what we need with you know connecting and making as authentic of a story as possible. I actually wanted to know if you guys had any thoughts about you know balance or I don't know if this is really a you thing, but balancing maybe key messaging of some of the partners that you work with 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 telling that authentic story. Do you have any good examples of that? Yeah, I we really strive for that in all of our work. And a lot of my job is educating our sponsors who are nonprofits or um, government agencies about how to work with creators and celebrities and that it has to be authentic to their voice. And it cannot sound like an ad whatsoever. I think that's like my worst nightmare is that the content that they're creating 
creating for the campaign or that we create together, sometimes we'll produce it and cast them in it, that it sounds like an ad, which is so hard sometimes because that's what we're used to making. PSAs, we're used to making 60 second ads, 30 second ads. Whereas like the creators, some of their videos are 30 minutes long and people watch them. They're millions of views. And so our sponsors and like our internal team do a really great job of making sure that there's a balance in that in both getting our message across, but in a way that their audience is going to realize like they actually are saying it in their own voice. So we like to say we take the creative handcuffs off. Yeah. What are, what are those handcuffs? So another thing I wanted to ask you is like, like what are the tactical things that you think brands can be doing better to create a lens that is approachable but still gets all that message? Yeah, absolutely. I actually think our campaign with Goodwill is a really great example because it is already a brand that a lot of creators are engaging with organically. So when we go out and find talent to talk about the campaign, which is when you shop or when you um, donate clothes to your local Goodwill, you're actually helping fund job training in your community. So that that's what's special about Goodwill in our campaign. But then, of course, there's the amazing environmental benefits and like not um, shopping with fast fashion. And that's why like a lot of people make those really fun thrift haul videos or shop at Goodwill or thrift shop. So we're already engaging talent who care about the brand and are like or organically talking and posting about it. But we're just integrating our social good message into their content. And so like they'll go out and do what they usually do on their channel, which is to thrift shop, which is such a skill, by the way. Every time I walk into a thrift <laughs> shop, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't even I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. I think nothing's gonna fit me or nothing looks I don't like, go shopping. I don't oh, go shopping without shopping. a yellow. <laughs> oh well. Maybe I need to go shopping with a yellow because I hate shopping. Yeah. But every time I watch those videos, I'm like, they are gurus at this. They find like all this amazing stuff at Goodwill and like make an outfit out of it that looks amazing. I could never think that I could possibly do this. But I think it's a really great example because what we do is we develop guidelines, creative guidelines. So I'm not going to say to somebody like, you're not, you should be making this exact type of video if it doesn't make sense for their channel. But we do develop like talking points for our campaign and then creative guidelines, which are all of these like do's and don'ts that we don't want them or do want them to do. So a lot of it is around logos, like brand logos, because as a nonprofit, we really are not supposed to promote any other brand. So that's like a big watch out for us. And then of course, like no cursing and no nudity or anything like that. But every campaign actually has their own specific creative guidelines because some are very sensitive issues. So like what we're doing a lot of the time is we're training and educating the creators about how to talk to their audience about these sensitive topics. So like mental health awareness, there are certain words that are trigger words, certain words that you shouldn't be using, certain phrases that... So I think a big one that the media actually has done a really good job lately of shifting away from this is saying this person killed themselves or there's another term that we're not supposed to use, but basically trying to say like death by suicide instead. That's a really big like language watch out. But there are a lot of those for all of our campaigns because we're the communication experts. 
So how did you guys learn about that though? Like how did you become yeah? So our sponsors are the issue experts. So like Jed Foundation and IFSB, they are the suicide prevention mental health experts. And so we're the communication experts and we come together to make sure that we're framing the campaign the best way possible and also talking to the media about how they're talking about the issues and if there are words like that that stigmatize, you know, the mental illness basically that they're not they're editing those out or they're not talking about it in that way. So little things like that can be really harmful. We want to make sure that the creators are making content responsibly. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I actually want to turn to everything that Lena is saying, you know, creating responsible content. How do you think, you know, your patients, I mean, you work at a, a women's practice specifically, social tends to skew younger, you know, are, are, do you, are you seeing that people are really impacted by what to everything that Lena is saying about presentation about, you know, mental health on social with influencers or or people being reactive to that? Like I said before, I think everybody's sensitive to it. I think that it's much more a part of younger people's social functioning just because they've grown up with it. So it's a big part of how they've learned to operate interpersonally is, is through social media. You don't see that as much as much with people our age or older. But that being said, that doesn't mean that we're not impacted, that people our age and older aren't also impacted. I think that social media is something I end up talking about every day because it's a big part of people's lives and comes up, you know, to impact them in various forms. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the actual mental state of influencers. You know, there are these people in this very public forum who are still people and they have lives that they need to manage, but then also, you know, put themselves out there in a really big landscape. I had recently watched American Meme and Brittany Furland goes into real depth about her mental capacity and like how she's dealt with being this public entity, but also like living her life and dating and like just being a normal human person, but then having like all these inputs from all these people all over the world all the time. It can get a little crazy. So Lena, tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with Creators for Good, the summit, all of it. Yeah. So I think we were seeing a trend in the specifically creating content on YouTube and the creators that feel like there's a lot of pressure to churn out content um, in par- parallel with the algorithm of YouTube, which prefers that you post a c- certain amount of times a week in order to get your views up and a certain length of content. Also, like longer content performs better sometimes. So I think there's a lot of pressure there. And especially if you've been doing it for five plus years, like coming up with new creative ideas, that much content a week, there's a lot there. And so... And it's video. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your face exactly on camera right all over yeah absolutely so there were a lot of creators that you know talked about the burnout and taking a break and how they were probably anxious about it affecting their channel affecting their views affecting their brand and their livelihood because it's their full-time job several people did it and I think it was really well received but it really ignited the conversation around being a creator full-time and the pressure of of your audience wanting to consume that content but but you're a regular person who you know does need to come up with these creative ideas and it's it's hard but we launched a summit series our creators for good summit 
which will be focusing on a different campaign issue each summit. But we did start with mental health awareness, specifically focusing on the talent and their mental health in creating content, but then also their responsibility of talking to their audiences about mental health and how that works and how, you know, it, it really, the idea of the summit is to educate the entertainment community, is to educate talent about these issues and how to speak responsibly about them to their audiences. Because I think what we're seeing now is people have all of these amazing brand deals, but how are they um, doing social good also? Because I think millennials and Gen Z, we want to see that the people we follow are also engaging in some sort of social good issue. Do you think that the creators feel responsible to do that? Is there like a sense of ownness to it that they're like, hey, I've gotten, I have this platform, I should use this for something a little bit deeper or better? I think a lot of them do because they want their audiences to keep connecting with them. And if you're just posting brand deals and you're not actually talking about anything that has substance or um, personally connecting with an experience that you had where other people can relate to it, I think your brand is in jeopardy if you're not integrating social good into your brand. Because I think they also want to feel like they're not only putting out sponsored content and like the content we make with them and that they make on behalf of our campaigns is not sponsored. They are authentically passionate about the issues and want to work with us to, like I said, make sure that the message is responsible and that they're educating their audiences about these issues. And mental health was such a perfect one because so many of them struggle with their own mental health. And also a lot of them talk about it on their channel. And we want to make sure that they're doing it responsibly. And I think that so many people have the stories, the personal connection and the stories. And that was the 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 driving force behind the summit and it was really successful we had two panels um one with a bunch of creators that worked on the campaign and they talked about how they manage their own mental health while creating content also how they talk to their audiences about mental health and then another panel with mental health experts from um, AFSP our sponsor as well as two creators that focus specifically on mental health Katie Morton one of whom is a licensed therapist and so that was a really interesting perspective on the issue as well, hearing from somebody who's both a creator and has to make content, but specifically talks about other people's mental health and how to manage that. So it was a, it was a really wonderful event. That's great. Were there any major conclusions or any major like things that were taken away for either personally or professionally that like people are like, hey, this is like a mental health is something that creators need to care about or consumers need to care about? Like what was the... I think the consensus was that it's okay to take a break and that it's it's okay to talk to your audience about the struggles that you're going through and maybe open up some of the you know, reveal some of what's behind the curtain of your curated content and really do talk about those negative feelings that you're having or experiences that you're going through because that's what makes everybody human and that's what has that connection with them and their audiences. So that was definitely one of the main conclusions yeah. from the event. I yell, we're getting a lot of nods. What, what, are you, what are you thinking over here? Oh, well, I just, this is really resonating for me because I feel like there isn't a lot of this in social media and having having people really people who are who are whether you call them influencers or whatever focusing on self-care also and taking care of themselves i think people like you were saying you know taking a break or whatever it could the brand in jeopardy can also put your identity in jeopardy your sense of self you become 
really linked very tightly with this image that you're projecting out into the world and without a recalibration, you know, to yourself to to who you are as a person, you can kind of put yourself at risk of a lot of stuff. So I just think that that's, that's a really special thing that people are doing that. Yeah. And being it, public it can about be hard they're doing. too, because then they kind of take a step back from that everyday validation of, yeah. I put this content out there, people really like it, it has high views. And then wait, I have to keep doing it again and again and again. And I need to take a break. But then that high of like having so much validation come at you all at once kind of goes away. And that's and it is your crash. career too. I mean, so the mental and the fiscal, you know, like if we, so wh- where is the balance of this, you know, to, to, to some degree at least. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's tricky when your identity is wrapped up in what you're doing for a job. A job. Yeah. But when w- the therapy that we do at my practice, we do CBT, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's, it's predicated on the idea that kind of how we think the stories that we're telling about ourselves influence ultimately our mood and how we feel. And, when we think about sort of the identity of an influencer and what are the stories that they're telling about themselves, am I owned by my audience? Do I no longer have a sense of ownership over myself and my story and where I'm, or am I owned by the brands that are sponsoring me or whatever it is? So getting back in touch with a story about yourself that's grounded in you instead of in an audience or what other people want. And that's, that would probably be true for influencers and for anybody who uses social media and posts on social media. So going back to, stories that people want versus stories that maybe people expect want to bring up the topic of fire festival my favorite yeah i think by now most people have seen the documentary and netflix or hulu though i only watch netflix actually (gasps) i watch both of them what (laughs) (laughs) wow we need we need to talk so the Netflix special, at least, I'll say this, is that they did a really good job about putting up a front of this uber sexy lifestyle, living on a beach, presenting the best the best self of what this festival can be. And that drew a massive crowd, a massive hype, and people like went crazy for it. Obviously, the production wasn't there, but it makes me think that like... People listen when people talk, you know, and the power of word of mouth is a real thing, you know, and putting these people up on a pedestal gives them even more of an amplification. So I kind of wanted to actually hear your talk, your point of view about like, what is the, why do people listen to each other? What is the reason for word of mouth and how does social media do that in, in or out of context for Fire Festival? I think that was my segue into this, but you know, I kind of want to get your take on that. Yeah. So, I mean, that question of why people listen to other people is like, you know, tales all this time. Like we have always, human beings have always done that. We're always social referencing. We're always looking outside of ourselves for guidance because that's how you survive in the world and survival is not our concern now. Now it's other things. It's much more superficial or surface things like, you know, what kinds of shoes are are cool. Like I need to know in order to well, be able to function survival, social. You, you could call it social survival, but it ends up manifesting in this different way. So when we're thinking about, or when I, I was watching the Fire Festival thing, one of the things I was thinking about when they did that, that orange tile thing yeah. was 
so, it was so smart. But I, what what really hit me about it was the mystery of it that people didn't know what it was at first. And that not knowing, I think was the most powerful piece of that campaign was there's something going on that I'm not in the know about. I have to find FOMO. There's something cool going on. And it's all these cool people posting about it. So to me, that was the most powerful piece was like, that got people hooked in was I don't know what's going on. And that's, that's a a problem for me. Like the ancient part of our brain that's telling us like, you need to be in the know if you want to like survive social survival, whatever you want to call it. That, that was triggered. That was turned on. That's amazing. I agree. I think (laughs) you're giving me looks like (laughs) I was fascinated. (laughs) I mean, it also has to do with what we were talking about before the curation aspect of the life that you want or that you see somebody else have both. And if somebody's selling you a product and you think they're amazing and cool and you want their life, what product do they use that you can also get so that you can be exactly like them? But in this situation, it was an experience of the, Oh, what, what's my Instagram feed going to look like when I go to the fire festival? because I'm going to be partying with Kendall Jenner and that's going to be really cool. So the curation of my life is going to be amazing. People are going to want to be me. They were selling an opportunity to curate your life. That's a really interesting perspective on this whole thing. Yeah. So there is a, you know, as we were saying, a big boom in the mental health and wellness space. You know, my former boss, shout out. The cool thing about having a podcast is that you can give out shout outs. I think this is actually the first shout out of the podcast. Shout out to Rachel Brown. She started the Wellness Project. And there's this movement of people taking um, the first steps to really, you know, putting wellness out there. And Rachel is one of those people who are doing great work with the, the Wellness Project. It's really taking off and, you know, riding this wave, as we were saying before about Headspace and all this stuff. There's these apps that are for the mental health community. Uh, that's kind of changing the landscape when it comes to mental health awareness and things like that. Ayala, I want to get your take on, you know, what, what is your take on all these apps? You know, the psychology, the psychology FaceTiming sort of stuff, you know. They're th- a threat to her business. So, well, so let's talk about <laughs> that. Is it really a threat? I know mean, we've talked about it a little bit that like nothing replaces that one to one FaceTime, like real FaceTime. Yeah. So it, there are a lot of amazing apps some of which I actually use with patients that we might integrate into, you know, treatment. This is not, I'm all in favor of the apps. I think anything promoting mental well-being is a good thing for humanity. And Lena, why do you love the Michael Phelps campaign so much? What was it about? Was there anything about it specifically that you're just like... I feel like men don't talk about mental health and you don't really see that, that example more women who are figures have talked about it. And so him being so public about it and having such an a huge male audience and being an athlete where really your image is supposed to be, you know, I'm strong. I don't show vulnerability and him really coming out and talking about his mental health has been so powerful. I think to people who are struggling because they see him as an example and then him partnering with an app where it's not only he's talking about his own struggles and taking away the stigma and allowing other people to see him as a role model, but he's giving people a solution and an option to use a tool 
people and to get very quick help. I also want to clarify, I think that apps, because it, it's hard to speak for something like Talkspace where it's actually like texting with therapists because you you just can't be sure of, of the quality all the time. But things like Headspace, the meditation apps, the mindfulness apps, tools for anxiety and depression. There's one really great app that I was recently made aware of called Lasting. It's for couples uh, to support couples and you know developing sk- like relationship skills. There's some really great ones around skills. I think for things uh, for apps that are delivering therapy, it may get a little bit trickier because you want to you want to know that there's sort of a secure relationship there. So that's just my take on that. This is also making me think about. You know, when I was going through a stressful time and like, you know, trying to figure out a lot of things, you know, the desire to pick up hobbies and things like that. And, you know, Instagram has, it was a great inspiration to like get out of my workday, come home, get my hands dirty, doing some painting, you know, looking on Instagram to get that inspiration. Now with like, like my friends, I mean, it's a different case now. Now I'm like learning guitar. Instagram and social can still be a great place to like, get inspired for all this stuff and now that you know i also think that there's like a big i mean i don't i'm not in the yoga space so i don't really know but like i think like yoga retreats can kind of fill that as well to just be like hey like you're in this all the time there are now avenues being it apps or communities on social or even in real life places to you know get this stress relief totally and that's what i meant before when i was talking about kind of curating your feed to be something that's constructive and positive for you um like all of those examples that you just gave that's a beautiful feed for you that every time you look at instagram is going to make you feel like inspired and excited and good you know rather than having things that make you feel terrible about yourself So something that I've talked with colleagues and friends about, especially, I think this is probably most relevant when it comes to social platforms. It's it's on Facebook. I think that you know you friend your friends, and then all of a sudden you're in this community of very like-minded individuals. And beyond politics, you know, politics aside, it's it's very easy to get in this bubble of people that look and feel and sound like yourself. And I think that there was an article that I found, and the headline reads: "A gold." standard study finds deleting Facebook is great for your mental health. I deleted my Facebook. I know others that have deleted their Facebooks because there's like, I can't be on social media right now. I think it's also a waste of time. It's a waste of time, but it also just gets you in this perpetual cycle of scrolling. I remember I would just go through my feed until the very end. But, you know, being able to separate yourself from that constant feed, it's a nice way to break the cycle and just like look up at life a little bit and not on your phone, like literally, but also figuratively. Do you guys have any thoughts about, you know, disengaging from social, generally speaking, for mental health? I'm all for it. Taking breaks. I think it's important. And I'm not sure what the study was that you found, but there was, it might have been this big study that came out of UCSD and Yale a, a couple of years ago that basically looked at this huge sample of people and found that the more usage, the lower their well-being overall. Is that a direct correlation? That was a correlation wow. that they found. So it was a, it, they had a few metrics. I forget what they were, but the overall correlation was a negative correlation with well-being. And Facebook actually put out a response and talked about how it was how people were using social media that was impacting or how people were using Facebook that was impacting you, how they felt. Do you know the specifics of what they said? I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think that that could be something to think about, whether it's Facebook or anything else, that it's always 
with moderation, with intention, not just consuming it blindly, but being intentional about how you're using it. And I think for some people, that means I take a break for a few days a month or I Consumers go off and it for a couple of years. Yeah. I think breaks are important. I really wish I could just delete it all yeah. and never look back. Um, but I, it's it's hard because it's part of everyday life. Yeah, I think a lot of people in our profession that do delete it, they just create like a professional account just to stay because like our jobs, we have to be knowledgeable about all the platforms and what they're doing. I support it. To your point earlier about like knowing it's there and still not being able to and and not seeing it, and this is something I think about a lot. Again, about about social media being an analog for real life. You could see those people in real life and have them tell you the same curated story that they're putting online. And so, again, this idea that that it's just my online interactions with people that are toxic. Those those same people would be toxic to you in real life, I think. So again, being able to asking yourself, would I would I be having this conversation with this person in real life or would I be avoiding that? And if the answer is I would be avoiding it, then then why do I want to know? And again, this doesn't have to be in here, but this comes up all the time where it becomes like a need to know thing. But it's like, would you need to know if you were like hanging out with them or if you were seeing them socially in real life? And the answer to that is usually no. It's usually no, I wouldn't even hang out with them at all. Like, I don't want to hear from them. Like, I don't want to know about their lives. And so then it's like, it's like, what am I getting out of following them? I literally talk about this every day. See, like, I didn't even, this, like, the inner workings of Facebook, like, I just, I don't oh, know as much Instagram. about it. So on Instagram, if you mute someone or unfollow someone, you won't show up on their feed either. I didn't realize this. No. No, it's that, like, let's say, like, we follow each other on Instagram and I post a lot of stories and you'll come up. The algorithm will push people to the top who like engage the most with your content. So once I see that somebody's like not looking at my content anymore, they just stop unfollowed. They must have muted me. Yeah. This is like the same like social politics just happening online instead of in real life. And so it's a very like passive unfollow because they've just stopped getting my content, but they haven't unfollowed me because that's like the next step of like you took an action to like publicly remove somebody from your feed. There are for sure a lot of people that hate me for like, like, and I just don't realize that I'm just like, I'm unfollow, 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 and just assume no one knows. That I'm like, no, but I unfollow a lot of people. <laughs> I think it's more like if you're in each other's like social circles, yeah. Like yeah. that's the more, yeah. that's the more offensive. Oh God, it's so stupid. You're saying it out loud, it sounds really dumb. Well, I mean, this is it's not it's not dumb. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of feel the same way about LinkedIn. Is that I go on to LinkedIn and I see this whippersnapper, twenty three year old who's the CEO of something or the VP of excellence at this company, and they're rising to fame. And I'm like, it's so easy to look at this person. And it's not even like social prowess. It's not even like they're living their best lives. It's like, man, my career, like, I mean, listen, I love working at Julius. I'm very happy. Everything is good. We're going to edit all this out. I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this. I actually like LinkedIn. So the thing is that, okay, Matt, we're taking that out. So the thing is that I like LinkedIn because I can connect with people and learn things. I think it's awesome. But, and I honestly, I'm connecting with people that have helped me so, so much for this job specifically, but it's hard for me not to like, look and see like, oh, that person got promoted. Why didn't I get promoted? How come I'm not getting promoted? And then like this spiral happens of like, oh, I'm I'm gonna doubt myself. I'm gonna come in tomorrow, I'm gonna get fired and all this stuff. And I'm like and then it's just like 
this isn't real. Like I need a, I, I yell at this point how she coaches me is like, there's no data to make you think this. You just have to kind of like go in and realize that like you're confident, you know your stuff and this is why you're hired. And like, but it's hard to not be on social media and be like, look like at all these people yourself, becoming right? of course. these corporate CEOs that are taking over the world. But again, that's the magnified analog. It's the same. You would still find out about 23 year olds becoming CEOs or whatever. You're just finding out about more of them. You, you were seeing more people. So and this is not instant. something it's more instant yeah. it's way more people so it's you can make the argument that all of this kind of stuff is just a symptom of us having more information generally about everything and so we now also have more information social information do you want to be a ceo like today <laughs> because you can be a ceo the, the, okay. of your own company so the answer is no i don't think i i don't think i would be a good ceo what 23 year old is a ceo yeah. of like oh, a fortune okay. 500 okay company. Like, i was, I was certainly exaggerating. I'm just saying it's easy. No, I understand. To, yeah, yeah. So, kind of want to talk about the future. Let's look into the crystal ball just a little bit. Want to know what Lena? You're thinking about you know the future of influencer marketing. I think that one of the the ethos of Julius is that brands can work with influencers that can create really personal one-to-one connections with their target consumers. And social does such a good opportunity of bridging that gap into everything that we're talking about, You know, letting people get connected to others in sometimes a really positive way. So what do you think the, the dynamic between the consumer and the influencer and then in turn the brand looks like in the, in the coming months and maybe years? I think we touched on it a little bit and kind of seeing that throwback to the more authentic content and less so curated, perfect life that not everybody can relate to. And I think opening up more about struggles and whether it's, you know, mental health um, that they're working through or other things in their lives that can be real and relatable. And I think that's going to be a trend in terms of helping creators maintain the authentic relationship with their audience, because that's at the end of the day, why brands hire them, why brands work with creators over celebrities. We're really seeing that world kind of merge a lot too. So I think we're going to find our way back to authenticity again, where creators are talking about their lives in a much less curated fashion that will still probably be curated in some way so that their audiences can feel like they're telling their real stories. And I yell at it for people who are on social media. How do you think, you know, just some final last words about how people can really engage social media and influencers as inspiration and maybe, you know, getting the best out of the platforms? So my opinion is the gold standard for social media use is exactly what you said, Lena, authenticity. And if there's not authenticity, then we're inherently running into problems around identity and self-concept and that brings up mood stuff. So, you know, always we want to be intentional about what we're putting out there. But even if you end up being polarizing, authenticity is your greatest weapon in that it's going to be and it's going to be protective in that it's you. So I agree about this authenticity idea. I think that's true. If I were consulting to influencers, that's what what I would say. If I'm consulting to my friends who use social media, that's what I would say. So yeah, I think that's kind of the the key word out of all this. We talk about authenticity all the time when it comes to influencers, to marketing, uh, to relating to consumers. So hear you loud and clear. Thank you both for joining us on the Julius Profiles podcast. Today was an interesting discussion. I I think that it, it went in a lot of different directions and 
I think it's because the state of social and influencer is so prevalent in people's lives and people, people really care. And I think that's why we have such a dynamic conversation today. So thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the Julius Profiles podcast. Catch us on the next episode and be sure to follow us on social. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Julius Profiles, a podcast brought to you by Julius Influencer Marketing. To hear more episodes, learn more about influencer marketing, or to discover how our platform adds a human touch to advertising, please visit juliusworks.com.